Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. We are starting a brand new sermon series uh, here at our church, and I will talk more about that in a moment. But let me first read the scripture passage that we'll be focusing on today. It's a passage that uh, often you read around Easter time, but I think you'll find in a moment why it's also appropriate for us to kick off this uh, sermon series. I'm going to read from John 20, verses 15 through 23. Jesus said to Mary, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. My family and I are fans of the show Stranger Things on Netflix, a show that, kind of science fiction show that takes place in the 1980s. In this past season, you can tell that it was, or it's based in the 1980s because they talk about uh, the new taste of Coke. Some of you may remember that uh, day, April 23rd, 1985, is the day when Coca-Cola decided to make a pretty uh, major and audacious risk and change the flavor of their classic Coke uh, formula. And it was immediately met with suspicion, even outrage. I was reading an article this week about it and all the different ways that people responded to Coke doing this thing. The CEO received a letter addressed to Chief Dodo, the Coca-Cola company, Uh, and apparently the CEO was a little upset that actually it was delivered to him. They knew who they were talking about. One person wrote to him asking for his autograph because in the future, the signature of, quote, one of the dumbest executives in American business history, unquote, would be worth a fortune. Some people wanted to hoard the bottles of the original Coke. A man in San Antonio bought $1,000 worth of Coke because he couldn't be without it. There were protest groups, such as Society for the Preservation of the Real Thing. Songs were written to honor the old taste. There were protesters at the downtown Atlanta offices that said, we want the real thing and our children will never know refreshment. Uh, Not long after they changed the formula, they went back to the old formula, hearing the outcry. And for a while, you may remember, they kept the two formulas but now they have fully gone back to the old, traditional, classic Coke uh, formula and taste. You know, it's interesting. When we get used to something and it becomes part of our daily lives, 
And then when that goes away, we respond in lots of different ways, even when seemingly it's something as uh, simple as the taste of Coca-Cola. But then, of course, there are other things that we are much more attached to, even things that seemingly sometimes they matter and sometimes they don't. But how do we respond when change happens? I was reading a book on leadership a couple of years ago, and the author was saying that really people don't mind change. What people don't like is loss. And I think that's true in many different instances in our lives. We are starting a new sermon series, I mentioned earlier, called Flux, Life in Transition. So we're talking about transitions and change in all of our complex, wonderful, challenging, and beautiful lives and the feelings that come with that. If we think about all the different transitions and and losses that we feel, I'm sure we could come up with lots of different uh, things on that list. I've mentioned a couple times our daughter is going to college in a couple weeks, huge transition for all of us. Moving away is a big thing. We break up with somebody, a relationship, uh, and certainly death is one of those changes and senses of loss that we all experience when we have a loved one die. And we have all kinds of feelings and ways of transitioning. So what do we do when flux happens, upheaval happens in our own lives? You know, even for those transitions, transitions that we celebrate, birth of a baby, graduation, new job, moving on to something new might come with feelings of grief or sorrow, which is perfectly normal. What it really reveals is how much we have cherished the thing that we have loved. Sometimes there's pressure to just move on, get on with it. But today we want to talk about grief, to name it, and we want to encourage all of you and ourselves to not rush through the feelings that we have in the midst of transition and change and loss. Rather, we want to learn how to hold our grief while knowing that what we are experiencing may very well indicate that we're about to springboard into a new chapter of God's activity. We see this in our scripture passage today. As I noted earlier, we typically read this story around Easter, and we see it as a joyful celebration that demonstrates God's power over death, and it is that. But our passage today reminds us that even while this is true, it is marked by intense trauma and grief. We see If you remember the beginning of the story, Mary is overcome with emotion about the loss, the death of this one that she had followed, had given her life to, Jesus. And we see her reaction in this passage. She's overcome with sorrow, but also relief. She thinks that maybe, just maybe, she was wrong, that everyone is wrong, that Jesus actually is alive, but in her mind, alive in that he is a physical being still. Still, he never really died, and so she clings to him. We know because of her response that this is an intimate relationship that that Mary has with Jesus. In fact, when Jesus calls Mary's name, he uses the Hebrew form, but when Mary responds, she uses Aramaic language, and both languages speak to their home or heart language that they most closely identify with. Rabunai, the term that Mary uses is in particular is a small, short little form of endearment, as if saying, my dear rabbi. So we can see here, they are close. So we understand Mary, when she clings to Jesus, the text tells us, she wants to hold on to the source of her joy. She mistakes the appearance of Jesus 
as his physical permanent presence. But Jesus responds by saying, you can't hold on to me in that way. Jesus indicates that his permanent physical presence is not how he is appearing to her. Instead, he is appearing to her as a gift of the Spirit, and that it will be fully realized only after he ascends to the Father. But still, she wants to hold on. How many of us have felt that same way? When we have a sense that something is going to change, something is going to loss, and our gut reaction is to cling, to hold on, to grasp, to not want to let go of that. All very understandable. So we, we feel with Mary. We know what she's going through. And a little bit later in the passage, we see a different kind of response, the one that differing, that the one that Mary gives. Instead, we see here now the disciples are experiencing grief in a different kind of way. They're paralyzed by fear. The disciples isolate themselves. They confine themselves to a room. And also in that same way, their emotions are confined within their bodies. We don't read about tears being shared here. We don't see the kind of grief and emotions that Mary exhibits and shows. There's no description of open mourning. Instead of sorrow, the only description of their emotions is fear. And we can also perhaps imply anxiety. But Jesus, again, releases them in a way that he does with Mary. You notice that Jesus responds to them differently. He knows that Mary wants to cling and hold on to, and so he he tries to explain to her what will fully happen. And this new thing that is happening that maybe Mary doesn't quite fully get yet, but still she begins to understand that something new is happening. And when Jesus responds to the disciples, he also releases them or educates them or talks to them and tries to get them out of this grip of paralyzing emotions that they feel like they can't express. And instead he gives them empowerment of peace and freedom together. So Jesus responds to both of them differently. Mary wants to to hold on and Jesus releases her from that and trying to share with her there is a, a new thing happening and it'll be even better than what you can realize. Jesus releases the disciples too, saying, you have this fear that's gripping you, not letting you perhaps to, to mourn or share or whatever. And Jesus tries to release them from that too. So in both ways, Jesus tries to get Mary and the disciples to, to release, to let go, which can be one of the hardest things to do. But it's important for us to think about that when we experience grief too. And we think about ourselves when we ask the questions, how do we respond to change? How do we respond to transition? What do we do with loss? Do we just jump right into getting on with it, as some might have us do? Or do we allow grief to happen? It's okay to cling for a bit. It's okay to let our emotions loose. A few years ago, when our dog died, I think I've written about this on my blog before. Of course, whenever someone has a a pet die, it's always a very sad experience. And the night when we knew that uh, our dog was uh, not well and we would probably have to take her into the vet and and put her down, all of us were were shedding tears. And uh, my children were giving uh, our dog, Stella, one last hug. And my son kind of looked at me with tears in his eyes. And he said, what are we going to do? And I thought he meant, what's the process uh, for Stella? And so I tried to explain to him, I would take her to the vet. And as I was explaining this to him, he, he interrupted me. He said, no, no, what are we going to do about us? 
And that's a really good question that for all of us in the midst of grief and loss, what do we do about us? I think it's important for us to allow ourselves to grieve, to give ourselves the permission to to cling for a bit, to hold on, to shed those tears, to express our remorse as Mary does. And maybe sometimes too, we realize we have to shut ourselves off for a time. And maybe that's one way for you to grieve too. And initially that's fine and that's good. But at some point we think about how do we take the next step? How do we begin to go through the process and look at what's going to happen in this transition, what will happen next in this time of change? Mary eventually does let go, and that does not indicate a lesser love for Jesus. And it does not demonstrate a compromised faith. It is a pragmatic and faithfully obedient act in order to let the new thing that God wanted to do among the community to happen. If Mary had not let go, if Mary had not left then to tell the disciples, if she had just stayed put and tried to still hang on, how might the future of the church been jeopardized? Because again, remember, it is a woman who gave the first statement of profound faith, really the first evangelical statement, I have seen the Lord. Mary holds on, Mary cries, Mary exchanges this interaction with Jesus, begins to grieve, but then a Mary eventually lets go in order to do that next thing, in order that a greater good might come about. And so we ask ourselves when we think about our own feelings of loss, both individually and as communities, <clears throat> what do we need to let go of in order to move forward into the next chapter of our lives? The world is Mary and the disciples knew this. There were lots of reasons to grieve the change in the relationship. I mean, life would never be the same. I was reading an article this week about a woman who had an 11-year-old die of a brain tumor. And she said, I have a hole in my heart that never closes. Nothing else fills that void or that hole that's always there. And then she said this, you learn to garden around it. It is right to create space for processing all of that and to know that that hole that we feel, that sense of loss, will never leave. And it can also be easy to interpret this grief as a confirmation that things shouldn't change. But really, what it means is that we have loved. We have loved something. We have loved a person. We have loved an experience. So how do we learn to garden around it? How do we learn to begin to let go? How do we allow ourselves and allow God to do that next thing. It is not easy, and I'm not saying that that sense of loss and grief will leave us. It is not a a linear, tidy process where you can grieve for a certain amount of time, and then we say, okay, now I'm going on to the next thing. That sense of loss may always be with you. But I think we allow ourselves, or we hope that in community, when we can be together, that we can support one another and draw on that strength of not just God, but of of one another to allow ourselves for that new thing to happen, to let go and see what will God do next. So there are lots of, I've mentioned lots of ways that we experience transition and, and loss 
both from the things that maybe seem simple and don't really matter, and yet really powerful feelings and senses of grief when we have a loved one who has died. Certainly in the last couple of weeks, we have read a lot about mass shootings, certainly, and in El Paso and Dayton and in Chicago. We read about gun violence often. A couple of years ago, I talked about there was a woman who created an organization in Chicago called Mothers Against Senseless Killing Mask. Her name is Tamar Manasseh. And she had wanted to just lay claim to a corner in Chicago. It's on the south side on the corner of Stewart and 75th. And that was the corner. And so she did all kinds of things to make sure there is going to be no violence on this corner. And so they would have picnics and activities and people would just hang out on this corner as their own testimony, as their own witness to saying, there will be no violence on this corner. But tragically, a couple of weeks ago, there was. Here on this corner, a drive-by shooter killed two of the moms who would gather, women Chantel Grant and Andrea Stoudemire. They were familiar faces at this intersection in the Englewood neighborhood. And so you can understand then the outrage that all of the people who are part of a mask and people who are part of this group, there still has been no one arrested for this, which exacerbates their grief. And as they call out their outrage and call out not only that no one has been arrested yet and just the sense of the endless cycle of violence that happens, they express their loss and grief and remember these two women, but they also continue on. They begin to see how can we begin to garden around the whole that lives in our lives. They have started a GoFundMe campaign. Their goal was to raise $5,000 as a way to bring justice to the situation and find those who had committed this act. And as I checked the other day, they've now raised almost $33,000. Tomorrow night, Sunday night, they are going to be having a gathering at this same corner. They're going back to this same corner and they are recognizing and commemorating Tisha B'Av, which is a Jewish commemoration that happens annually. A sense the on the Jewish calendar, this time of, of gathering marks the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. The Tamar Manasseh, as I mentioned earlier, is Jewish, and so they are gathering together in this spot to remember this. As they say on their Facebook page, to they gather to mourn, to support the arrest and capture of the shooters, to continue good works, and to work to reduce the underlying factors of rampant public, public senseless killing of mothers, fathers, and children on 75th and Stewart and over all our country. This just happened a couple of weeks ago, but they begin the process of gardening around the hole. Grief is hard. And we may have different feelings in our own lives when we experience loss in transition. And so I would ask all of us to think about a couple of things, to not force ourselves to just rush through it, to name our feelings, to know that it's okay to express these emotions, to not hold ourselves off for too long as the disciples did, but to allow ourselves to grieve and to lean on others in our communities. 
And then in time, even though the sense of loss that might never leave us, allow ourselves to see what God is going to do to let go and see what might happen next. And letting go can be one of the hardest things to do, but we trust that God is going to do a new thing. And as Mary said, when she saw the risen Christ, I have seen the Lord, that we might be able to see what new things happen in small and large ways if we are faithful and trust that God is with us in our grief and in these times of transition and change and trust and believe that we worship a God of resurrection and we can look around and love the things that we once had but also see and trust that God will create something new out of it too. Amen. Well, friends, thank you once again for listening to this podcast and for your support. Uh, I sometimes forget to mention this, but if you get anything out of these podcasts, um, I'm going to put a link in the Podbean page, but we always are appreciative of any uh, financial uh, donations you can make to Urban Village so we can continue uh, these podcasts. I know I uh, some people listen to this who live in another part of the country or don't live in, uh, or rather don't live in Chicago. And so uh, if you don't have a church home, uh, to consider going online and supporting us. Uh, next week, I am not going to be around. So um, you can go to our uh, Podbean page and listen to some of our other UVC pastors. I'll be back in two weeks. And then we'll be sharing um, more thoughts on this sermon series called Flux as we move forward. You can always reach out to me, Christian at urbanvillagechurch.org is my email. Go to my website, christiancoon.com. Friends, until the next time, may the peace of Christ be with you. Great God.